Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Sajna. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the year of the Cronky sports business podcast, The Sportacast. It is the year of the Cronky. I mean, I know everyone is just going to think, all right, they just won the Stanley Cup. Congratulations to the Avalanche. Uh, you know, he also owns the LA Rams won the Super Bowl, the first owner to ever win the Super Bowl and the Stanley Cup in the same year. And if you weren't paying attention to your Colorado Mammoth of the National Lacrosse League, you might have missed their victory in Buffalo, right? You might have missed that one. So three championships in one season for Stan Kroenke. Uh, The rich get richer because as we know, Eben, you can't guarantee success on the field court rink. But when you do achieve and this is an important piece, sustained success. And the Rams certainly look to be sort of one of the more compelling teams in the NFL, and they have a new facility. When you can achieve sustained success on the field of play, that certainly pays dividends in the coffers. Absolutely. And you mentioned the new facility. The Rams won that Super Bowl at home in SoFi Stadium, $5 billion stadium that he built out in L.A., the NFL headquarters, West Coast headquarters are, are right next door on the property. Uh, it, it is very clear. We talk a lot on this podcast, Scott, about sports as platform companies. Stan Kroenke is building a perfect example of that thing. He owns the stadium where the Rams play in L.A. and he owns the Rams. He owns the arena where the Nuggets and the Avalanche play in Colorado. And he owns the Nuggets and the Avalanche. There's the NLL team. There's Arsenal, which we should mention, probably the second most valuable sports team in his portfolio outside of the Rams. Just a whole lot going on here, Scott. And and, and sometimes the, these platform companies exist in one specific city, and then other times, like we have here with Stan, there, there, there's groups in, in different countries, thousands of miles apart, and in different cities across the country. Uh, I noticed in your little uh, your rundown of the assets in the portfolio, you did not mention Altitude Sports. <laughs> That's true, yeah. So Altitude Sports, another pretty valuable one in there. I think if you if you want to think about the, the most valuable pieces of Stan's, uh, Stan's Ars- I was going to say Arsenal, uh, pun, pun not intended, uh, the Rams we have at $4.6 billion. We have Arsenal, the soccer team, at, at $3.06 billion. We have the Nuggets at $1.8 billion. The Avs around $800 million. Uh, I would think Altitude is somewhere probably between the Nuggets and the Avalanche, probably in, in roughly in that stretch. I don't have a valuation on that. And then we have the, the Colorado Rapids of MLS down at $370 million, the least valuable club, I believe, 
uh, of the of the five major U.S. sports te- leagues in the U.S. But that's okay because look, you have to look at the whole portfolio, right, and see how it works. Now you've got a club in MLS which recently signed a deal with Apple streaming only. Yeah, there'll be some you know sub license to uh, a linear, but you're going to see it's a nice experimentation for how that will work when you go direct to consumer slowly with an innovative company like Apple. So you can bet the folks at Kroenke Sports are keeping a close eye on that because they want to know what do we do with Altitude, which, by the way, has blackout issues with several of its teams in the home area. So not everybody can see it. It's like the like a distribution problem, the same as we've seen in L.A. with the Dodgers, right? But it's the flywheel. It's, it's that platform company flywheel. It's the holy trinity. What does MSG own? They own the teams. They own the facilities and they own the broadcast network. That mm-hmm. is the holy trinity when you can control all three. And you always know there's going to be sort of a little side eye, suspect eye from the other owners when like, are you getting a fair market broadcast rights agreement when you know, you're taking pocket A and putting it into pocket B? There is a committee that has to say, yeah, that's a fair market value in case anybody's wondering. But as MSG has shown, you've got that flywheel, you've got that holy trinity, and you're, you're seeing an international component with Kroenke. The major sports holdings in the U.S., one is fiddling with Apple and and direct-to-consumer as he's got an an RSN. And by the way, we saw New England Sports Network also going direct-to-consumer first to do that. You bet they're watching that. It's all an experimentation with one team leads to implementation with another. And then what's happening overseas and is ahead, well, maybe we can adopt that and bring it here and see how it works in our flywheel. And just to show how much overlap there is in, in the global professional sports world, you know who owns 70, 7% of, of Ball Arena where the Nuggets and the Avalanche play? Liberty Media. 7%. Liberty Media, Liberty, okay, so. which, which just won a World Series and is also experiencing all of the F1 growth. Hold on. We're not ready to go to. That, that was a perfect segue to our second topic. I know. We're not ready yet. <laughs> so, yeah, you got that little foreshadow so be a with the teaser. Liberty Media. And then, if you want to expand the, the Cronky family even a little bit wider, his cousin by marriage. Rob Walton just spent $4.65 billion, the most ever paid for, for a sports franchise ever, uh, to, to, to buy the Denver Broncos. So there's a lot in the Kroenke extended family, both by blood and by business relationships, that is having a pretty big last 12 months in, this, in the sports world. You know, one of my favorite sports business tales that I like to tell is when the NBA years ago uh, came to... Uh, I'll say a middleman or a third party to not only house data, but to almost broker deals where they could group order certain items. Mm -hmm. And you don't think about this, but what do you think the unit cost is of, I'm going to use the real world example of what the NBA was talking about, toilet paper. Because I can tell you at SoFi Stadium and at Mile High or whatever it's called these days, and at Ball Arena, they are and in our, they're spending a ton of money on toilet paper, straws, cups, or maybe not a ballerina where they have the <laughs> aluminum, you know, but all of those things. So, by what percentage do you think you can reduce your unit cost if you join forces and almost double your order for all of those items? It's a it's a great question. I, I do wonder how much, from a physical inventory standpoint, how much these teams are sharing across a network. Like the Cronkies, I would be surprised, Scott, if if there's let's use toilet paper as the example. If if Ball Arena and and SoFi are sharing in orders for tangible goods like that, I would not be surprised. Obviously, there's a lot of of personnel and expertise 
of people that, that can work on both those properties at, at, at once. Um, but you're right, especially now when, when a cost for everything is, is expensive, cost, you know, factor in inflation, bring in supply chain issues that have happened since the start of the pandemic. I think there's probably a lot of different ways. I, I would love to know. Maybe we should ask the Kroenke uh, Empire, the KSE folks, if there's how much there is of physical, tangible goods that they are getting better unit economics on if they're if they're buying them in bulk across multiple teams and not just ones that that share the same building. There is a direct correlation between an added ply of toilet paper and happiness <laughs> in your in your experience at the ballpark or at the arena. I can tell you that. So if you can bring the cost down and add a ply, you've got happier customers. One thing I will say is definitely happening is that they're I'm sure they're sharing data and they're sharing best business practices. Of course. Things that the Rams notice that that really work for them, I'm sure, can be applied to what's happening either in in London or in uh, or in Denver, and, and and vice versa. I'm sure there's a lot of synergies, things that one league is doing that is interesting that they can kind of immediately apply back to their other leagues. That that maybe owners that have just a single team in a single league don't have the same insight into what other leagues are doing, what's working, and what's not. I am not going to name the company because they would be angry with me, but I can tell you with 100% certainty, that means I'm being honest here, that there is a company that told me that when they deal with the NFL, that things don't get done very quickly. They're a bit skeptical. They're a bit conservative. So the route they have chosen to take, and maybe the NFL will figure this out without me having to name the company just by who's worked, whatever. But the route this company has chosen to take is, why don't we deal with the more innovative teams first? Mm -hmm. That way we have proof of concept, very low risk to the league itself at the home office. And the team they've chosen is the Rams because they know they are willing to try new things. They're bold. Hello, Kevin Demoff. That they like to do new things and they will experiment. So they go to the Rams first. They say, hey, this is what we'd like to do. We think this would make sense because of, you know, whatever. The Rams say, okay, great. Let's try because there's no harm in trying. If it doesn't work, at least you learn something, right? Was it Einstein who said that? There's no fail. It either doesn't work or I learned something. So it's a win either way. Hmm. I think the Rams approach things in a very similar fashion. So they'll try. And the, the, the particular um, anecdote that was told to me was it was a whopping success. So they could then bring it back to the NFL and say, look at what we did in LA. Hmm. And then the NFL says, oh my God, that's wonderful. We should do that. That's interesting. What, what, this is probably not the company you're talking about, but one thing I can say is that when when Ball partnered with not the, Ball, with the, not with the Kroenke, yeah. the, the whole kind of Kroenke uh, enterprise, one of the things that they liked was one they could they could do a deal that that would include two different stadiums in three different leagues. Uh, they are doing the they're trying to replace a lot of the single use plastic cups that are that are prevalent in a lot of arenas with recyclable aluminum ones. The Kroenkes obviously were very excited to do that in Denver and, and and they took the naming rights to the to the arena. They also are doing that at SoFi Stadium, is what I understand. And the ball people told me when that originally happened that that one one of the advantages of partnering with a group like Kroenke is you suddenly get insight into all of these leagues immediately just by virtue of doing a deal with a single ownership group. And I think kind of along the lines that you're saying, especially in leagues like the NFL where it's hard to do these things kind of in, in, in massive bulk. If you get a team like the Rams to do it, that does turn eyes across the league. Yeah. By the way, did you see, uh, did you mute there? Cause the fire, uh, no, that's okay. Let it go background. It was like, this is good. All right. We're back. <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah. Look at you muting. No, no, we're in real life here. You know, you're going to have fire trucks go by. 
Did uh, did you see well, who was it? Cobell who dropped the Stanley Cup on his way into the did team see huddle? That. I didn't see who it yeah. was, but I did see it, and and the reaction of everybody and yeah, <laughs> the that, that face. I I don't have the answer. And this is a sports biz question. Like I'm just curious, by the way, like how much damage? I mean, it was pretty. It was dented. You know, Visibly ice, dented, ice is pretty yeah. hard. It was dented. Who pays for that? Is that like up? Uh, Stan, we got it. You know, we're gonna we're gonna send you a bill for the dented cup. I mean, it must get it must get dented and and scratched and busted all the time because the players get like one week with it. Any you know during the year, that thing must get abused uh, throughout. You, the you year. could do a whole story of, of of famous sports trophies that get dropped or dented. Was it Real Madrid's one of the big European yeah, the Champions League right yeah, away? Dropped it off the bus, yeah, yeah. I think. And, yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. Really, really broke the trophy. Yeah, I think there's probably, and I'm sure the Stanley Cup over the history has some crazy stories of, of incidents where it was misused and and dented or broken and had to be fixed. Uh, but yeah, I'd be fascinated to know what the uh, what the end result of that is. And I would bet that next time you see it, uh, it is not going to be dented like that. Yeah, yeah, the misspellings. Yeah, but I'm just curious. What's the cup insurance? They must carry some cup insurance. That's what's the premium on that? I have no idea. <laughs> All right, you foreshadowed F1. Were we on the edge of our seat waiting for the F1 broadcast deal or like what? I mean, I don't know. I kind of figured. I, what was interesting to me is that Netflix was in the mix. Yeah. And then everybody was like, oh, well, it just makes sense. They got Drive to Survive. It makes total sense that they have the live races too. Turns out that, yeah, Netflix made a bid, but it wasn't really a competitive bid as compared to Amazon uh, or ESPN, you know. So uh, great Raise though, like they were getting, F1 was getting about five mil per year. And now, according to our pal John Arand, what, between 75 and 90 mil per year? How many X is that? Give me some quick X. Not about 15, 16 X right there. <laughs> lots X. Yeah, lots X. <laughs> you don't see X, that. X. You don't see that all that often. Yeah, the, 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 the deal that, that ESPN had for F1 right now is, is, is a massive bargain. Obviously, you mentioned about $5 million a year came on the heels of NBC essentially giving up uh, its rights to F1 here in the U.S., and we've talked about it on the show a lot, F1 has gone through a, a tremendous boost in popularity here in the U.S. in the past, I would say, 18 months or so, largely, I think, or partially at least, due to the, the success of the show and some events that they've had here in the U.S., particularly the one in Miami earlier this year. Yeah, you don't see 15, 16X all that often from a, uh, from, from a rights negotiation in, in sports anymore. Uh, you muted again. All the sirens. Here. This is good. It's like this big, you know, big money. It's, it's fine. You can have it in the background. It's all good. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised that ESPN wanted to keep it. Uh, I think you're getting a little window into the soul of F1 owners and Liberty. Nobody ready to commit to streaming just yet, right? Which is why this is such a fascinating time because we had mentioned MLS. They had to really have an internal struggle, I would assume, sort of the distribution and grow the eyeballs versus the amount of money that the direct-to-consumer uh, would afford you in the present. So reach versus dollars right now. F1, I think, realized that uh, while they're growing, they're, they're in a stage where they still need the linear reach. Like They need to be on ESPN. Yes, some will be on Plus, you know, ESPN Plus as well but they certainly were not ready to commit the entire slate of races to a streaming platform. I think that's such an, it's such an interesting point of where we are right now with, with, with media and, and kind of the fracturing right now between broadcast and streaming, where every time a league does a new deal, Scott, there, there's two things, right? It's, it's who got the deal. Great. It was ESPN. And now two, how are they going to distribute it? Is it all going to be on ESPN plus? Is it all going to be on 
linear television? Is it going to be some mix of ABC, ESPN? And as you said, this one's going to be a mix. There's going to be some races, it seems like, that are going to be exclusively on ESPN+, Plus, according to SBJ. And then there's going to be uh, other ones that are on ABC or on ESPN, the cable channel. It's, it's interesting to me that that now every announcement comes with this second question of, it, it's great, oh, I, I know that channel or I'm a subscriber to that too, how much am I going to need to subscribe to get it? Or am I going to get it through kind of the traditional ways in which a lot of these networks uh, d- distribute? It's the same thing with if NBC gets rights, right? That the immediate question is, is this going to be all on Peacock? How many of this is going to be on NBC regular? Is it going to be on USA, the cable network? There's just now so much nuance in addition to who wins the bidding for media rights. It's so much now also about how are they going to distribute it? And what, as a fan, what is it going to cost me out of my pocket to be able to continue to watch the things that, that really five years ago, it was much simpler to know, to know how to watch it and where to watch it. How powerful today, and I'm asking you to speculate. I mean, I know we all know it's powerful, but just how powerful is the ESPN platform? Remember NBC was on ESPN, went to NBC or the NHL rather was on ESPN, went to NBC, which by the way, got treated like a feature property on, on, on NBC sports network, you know, now, now gone. Uh, but sort of ran back to ESPN for the scale, the attention on SportsCenter. It's amazing how many hockey highlights you get now when it is a property on that particular network. So all things being equal, and by all things, I mean money, do you default to ESPN right now over some like Comcast or NBC and Peacock? Do you default to ESPN because of the breadth and scale? I mean, I think you do. And I, I think if you were to ask UFC folks, and sorry, there's there's more sirens coming here. Um, I think if you were to ask UFC folks, they would tell you that the, the move a couple of years ago to, to essentially do all of their media in the U.S. through ESPN has been a huge boost for them. You, you notice it on the website. You notice it on SportsCenter and, and their daily programming. There's just more. I won't say the Gary Bettman quote because we mentioned it a hundred times already. But but th- there's definitely a way in which a lot of sports properties feel like if they're not part of the ESPN family, they get ignored a lot on the on the wraparound shows and and, and on the website and the app, and then feel like when they are part of the ESPN family, they get a little extra boost in in, in attention, a little boost in distribution. Their scores appear a little bit higher, etc. I, I would bet that if you were to ask the folks at at, at UFC, they would they would gush about how much more exposure they feel like they're getting now that they're part of the of the ESPN family. And and I would think that that, that the NHL might say that they, they noticed a similar boost like that right now also. And, and then the flip side of that, Scott, because we've talked about it a bunch, MLS, which had part of its media rights that were going to ESPN in, in the current deal and, and, and then chose a very different approach. They're leaving the Fox and ESPN families to go entirely with Apple. There could be some kind of sub-licensing distribution at some point through through either of those networks at some point soon. But yes, there, there, there's definitely a lot of leagues, particularly the ones in, in a tier below the NBA and, and the NFL, uh, particularly those groups. I think they probably see a huge boost right now to ESPN. And ESPN knows that, right? It, it's here. John Oran reported it. Amazon offered apparently more money than, than ESPN did to F1. And, and, and obviously F, F1 didn't want all of its stuff Appearing streaming first, they like the TV aspect of ESPN, but I think it also helps ESPN at the negotiating table to know that they are coming not just with a with, with a bucket of money, but also a, a very powerful distribution network across other streams. Yeah, I mean, the, the, when you're in the ecosystem of broadcasting right now, uh, you've got to have the over-the-air component, the linear. You've got to have the streaming component, and they're sitting pretty with with both of those aspects right now. 
Uh, you know who is not streaming sports, who is not bidding on sports, because it's usually just folks behaving badly and sports behaving badly when it's broadcast on this particular platform? C-SPAN. C-SPAN. <laughs> C-SPAN, not bidding for F1. In case anybody was wondering, C-SPAN is not, did not submit a bid for either F1 or MLS. And no executive wants to be on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you generally do not wish to be on it. Although Roger Goodell, once again, found himself uh, in the halls of Congress uh, testifying in the uh, in the Washington commander's affair. Your takeaway, I love, by the way, the, the photo that many news outlets used was sort of the Dan Snyder nameplate with nobody the sitting in the placard, chair. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, you know, a little bit of editorial, I think. Um, but the fact remains, Dan Snyder was not there and Roger Goodell was. So two big things happened last week. One, which you mentioned, Roger Goodell uh, appeared in front of this House committee, which has spent the last eight months investigating Dan Snyder, the owner of the Commanders, and and, and a lot of pretty ugly allegations about sexual misconduct in the in the office and and, and other uh, various uh, unseemly acts. Um, and then the second thing is is right before a couple hours before Goodell started testifying or, or or started you know answering questions, the Washington Post wrote a story saying that back in two thousand nine, a female employee inclu- accused Dan Snyder of uh, of making untoward sexual advances towards her. It eventually settled in a uh, $1.6 million settlement. Snyder has denied uh, any of her allegations are true. Um, But it just seems as though, Scott, there's just more and more happening in this world. There There were more revelations released in a trove of documents by this House committee last week, essentially accusing Snyder of, of putting in quotes here, a shadow campaign which was investigating which of his former employees may have been ones leaking information about accusations and misconduct to the press, Um, also accused him of firing female employees and maybe not taking seriously some allegations against them, and also trying to deflect some of his own involvement over to uh, former executives like Bruce Allen. Um, Just a whole lot of ugly things happening here. And, And in the whole thing, he didn't agree to, to come talk. He didn't have to. He wasn't subpoenaed, although he may be at some point soon. But yeah, at any time Roger Goodell stands up there and has to answer questions like this, he said that it was the, I think he, he admitted that it was the worst workplace environment that he's ever come across in, in the NFL. He repeatedly said that he didn't have the authority to make Dan Snyder sell the team, although the people who pay his check, the NFL owners, they certainly do. Uh, he said, I'm, I'm not a lawyer a whole bunch of times. As well, it's, he loves that phrase. Yeah, he, he loves, loves the he loves I'm not a lawyer. Yeah. It's loves convenient when it needs to be. Um, yeah. yeah, I just think that in in general, the NFL does obviously hates this this story in a lot of ways. I'm sure Roger also hates that he has to be when when Dan is not going to be up there answering questions. That Roger is the one that has to has to stand there and, and and take the grilling himself. Well, let's be let's be clear though, and for for people who wonder, well, why does he? I mean, that is really it could be the first bullet point in the job description. 100%. Like if Roger ever decides to leave and you got to put out an ad for a job, NFL commissioner must, you know, must take heat for owners. That is his job is to absorb the heat, absorb the bullets so the owners don't have to. Mike McCann and I were talking about this last week that that as he was testifying, there was a whole bunch of Twitter chatter like, well, how, how does Roger Goodell still have a job? Why haven't they fired this person at this point? And Roger is in this interesting paradox where the more people that think he's doing a bad job, the more solid, the more important <laughs> yeah, the he more, is, the more valuable he is. He's never been that, more needed. That is exactly the thing that, that in, in a lot of ways he is to be the face of the shield. And when things go bad, he's the one that, that owners want to absorb a lot of that, a lot of that 
anger. Yeah. And his again, job is to shield. Exactly. To shield. There a is the shield. shield. His job is to shield the criticism. So when everyone on social media the says, wow, Roger's doing a horrible job, that actually kind of means that he's doing a pretty decent job. One other thing that we, we should mention before we move on, as we record this, the we're soon uh, the NFL and, and Deshaun Watson and his people are going to have their kind of conversation about what 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 Deshaun's punishment is going to be. I'm sure that's going to be an ugly mess. A lot of people on social media have been saying, you know, why doesn't Roger just suspend him for, for three years and then let, let the union and them fight it out, uh, which something that Roger could have done a couple years ago, but it was a huge part of this this new CBA was to take a lot of the enforcement and, and, and punishment uh, power that he had away from him into an independent arbitrator. I, I do think it's interesting that after so much criticism over Roger about how much power he had to essentially unilaterally distribute punishment. Now that he no longer has the punishment, there's a lot of NFL fans out there asking why he doesn't have that power anymore yeah. to, to, to do this thing. So uh, between what's happening in Washington and, and what's happening with Deshaun Watson, uh, two very unenviable tasks uh, in, in last week and this week for Roger Goodell. Yeah, well, two quick points. I mean, it's exactly what we said. If you want to win the court of public opinion, go back to the Ray Rice incident. And the pressure was, although the CBA only allowed for a six-game suspension, the argument could have been, well, I'm going to suspend him for the whole season and let the union be the ones to to have to say, well, this was collectively bargained and you can't do that. Let them be the ones to argue why he should not have a stricter suspension than what the CBA allows. You know, you're just trying to win... The, uh, the hearts and minds of the public by doing something like that. And two, you, you wonder how many owners, and you can bet, I'm trying to think like, which was the first one, whether it was Donald Sterling or what, what was after that in terms of workplace investigations? You know, what, what was the next one after that? Whatever it was, you can bet that a high percentage of professional sports teams Either their owners or their CEOs probably hired outside firms to do a preemptive investigation Hmm. to find out everything they possibly could. The one thing you don't want or didn't want was any sort of surprises popping up should you find yourself in the blender. Do you think that these owners want to kick out Dan Snyder for fear of the spotlight, the microscope being turned on them, can they and their organizations survive similar scrutiny? They've got to be shaking in their pigskin. Especially and, but, uh, and other sports. There's also just not a lot of secrets, I would imagine, between NFL owners. I'm sure Dan knows a lot of things about what's going on at other organizations that, that other owners might not want them to know. Part of this conversation, Scott, makes me also think about the, the and this is a kind of a, a tangent here, but the, the fact that so few colleges fire coaches for uh, for cause, even when yeah. they, they have plenty of reason to, is that they don't want to have a reputation as someone who's not going not, not gonna to ad- adhere to contracts, right? They, they don't want that turned on themselves. It does feel like in some ways that's happening to a degree in, in, in the NFL, right? Where And across other sports because some of the, the Dallas Mavericks, the, the Phoenix Suns, two NBA organizations that have had some pretty bad allegations against them that, that have prompted some investigation. Um, yes, I think there's a lot of feeling that if you open this this Pandora's box of willingness and and and, and ability to remove owners for for bad behavior, that a lot of owners look internally and think, "Wow, if, if it happens to him now, uh, maybe that's going to be me in six months or eight months or ten months." 
a lucrative sideline for the Paul Weiss law firm, for former attorneys general, <laughs> uh, prosecutors, whoever it may be, a lucrative sideline. They might not have thought of sports as the never-ending gift. And by the way, did you see Mr. Novi Williams? I know you did because you typed it out. But uh, Delta Trade, we, we've been writing and following Delta Trade for a couple of years, streaming service, you know, back-end technology for streaming. Sold to Bain Capital. Uh, our friends at Bruin Capital have been looking to sell Delta Trade since pre-pandemic. Um, that process was sort of stalled because of the pandemic, but we got a deal about values the company anywhere between $700, $900 million. Excellent outcome for the folks at Bruin, our friend George Pine. Yeah, Bruin invested in, in 2016, valued the company at around $160 million US dollars at that point. And as you just said, between $700 and $900 million, uh, selling about five, six years later, that's not a bad exit uh, for, for an investment firm. Uh, everything, almost everything we've talked about on the show, Scott, has been about streaming. It, it, it makes total sense now as leagues like MLS turn their entire media portfolio over to streaming services, as groups like Bally's and, and Nesson start launching the, the RSN equivalent of over-the-top digital subscription services. This is a, a world in which streaming is only going to get more important. More people are going to want to do it. The tech is going to be even more and more important, able to handle the bandwidth. Firms like Delta Trey, who specialize in websites and, and particularly in streaming technology, if they can do this well, and it seems like Delta Trey can, uh, I would imagine they're only going to become more, more important in the sports media landscape moving forward. Shout out to Jeff Volk. Now we'll find out if he listens to the show. He better. No, no sirens. You want to take us out here? You couldn't, you couldn't uh, jimmy up a siren going by as we're ending the show? Yeah, there's been sirens all day and none right now. Uh, but yeah, I can take us out. Oh, uh, no, 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 no. We have to have a clean. No, 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 no. We I've seen this. I've heard this. No, 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 no. I just meant a siren. You provide a siren backdrop and I'll handle it. All, all good. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Our producer is Matt Whitehurst. Thank you very much, Matt. Our digital media editor is Cor Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Media Network.